Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, recording live at World Fantasy. Uh, we're going to talk about interstitial art. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Delia. I'm Ellen Kushner. And today we have Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner with us. They are the heads of the Interstitial Arts Foundation. And, um, okay. We're not really the heads. Not really the heads, but... Um, we're heavily involved. We're co-founders. We're co-founders. co-founders. I was going to say, you are certainly the spirit that pushed it off. Um, and interstitial arts is very interesting to me personally, coming from puppetry, which kind of straddles a lot of different areas, um, because it is things that don't fit neatly into little boxes. Would you guys first, let's ground our listeners by kind of defining what interstitial means. Interstitial comes from the same word as interstices. In other words, it's art that fits in the interstices. I can't believe I just flubbed that word. <laughs> We're going to edit this, right? It's art that falls in the interstices between recognized genres. Why are they recognized genres? Because for one thing, humans are patterning animals, and we like to put things in little boxes. And for another, the evil forces of marketing like to put things in boxes even more. Where does that leave those of us whose work does not actually fit in tidy little boxes? Well, it leaves us in the interstices or the interstitial space between these recognized marketing categories and between these recognized genres. But you know you want to find us because some of your favorite fiction, some of your favorite music, some of your favorite favorite performance art, indeed some of your favorite ways of making art like puppetry are indescribable and indefinable in terms of hard line categories. So we thought, you know what, let's let's form a union of people who don't really fit anywhere, or people who's or, or work that doesn't really fit anywhere, so that we can support each other and support people who want access to work that they can't easily find. So that's why we created the Interstitial Arts Foundation and why we're so pleased that you guys wanted to do a segment on this because it isn't about defining what's interstitial, it's about saying to people, guess what? It's okay not to be recognizable category, it's okay not to have the perfect elevator pitch for your thing, um, and we, we just want the world to, to be conscious of the fact that this stuff is out there. I've certainly seen reviewers use this too. Don't spend your 250 words or your 500 words trying to explain what something isn't. Say it's interstitial and go on to what it is. Mm. It, how does this relate, do you think, um, the other term that I see a lot of people using these days is genre bending, where um, steampunk, I think, you know, started as something that was, was bending genres. Yes. Um, and then went on to become a genre of its own. But do you, how do you think interstitial relates to genre bending? Well, I think that interstitial is less um, self-conscious in some ways. Mm. Uh, that, that you're just culling a, a writer who is writing, inter, who is really 
by temperament writing interstitial fiction is usually someone who has a very wide knowledge of, of, of nonfiction, of mainstream fiction, of historical fiction. I don't mean genre historical fiction, but, but stuff that was written a long time ago. And that they are drawing on everything mm. that, that they have ever read in order to write their fiction. And they're not trying to fit it into anything. And therefore, it becomes this indescribable mishmash of not just two genres that are put together, like paranormal romance, which is basically two genres that have been bolted together, and, and, and stick pretty much within the confines of both those genres, but something that defines itself as it is read, and mm. defines itself as it is written. So you, you can't say, this comes from this, and this comes from this, and this comes from that, but you experience it as something that you can't really bring genre expectations to, including mainstream genre. Right. Right, and I'm thinking of um, uh, Under the Poppy. Yes, um, absolutely. Which, which has puppets. Which does have puppets. <laughs> <laughs> it's not why I know the book. <laughs> uh, but Sword's Point is also, um, I think, very much interstitial uh, because it's, uh, this is a book that, that Ellen wrote, because it, it's secondary world fantasy, but there is absolutely no magic in it. The other thing is that when I wrote this novel, this did not exist. I mean, since I wrote Sword's Point, almost 25 years ago is when it came out. Wow. Happy anniversary Congratulations. to Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it was, now there is something called historical fantasy mm. or secondary worlds without magic. And when I wrote it, there wasn't. And the rejections that book got from people saying, this is literature. So we almost, but not quite. This kind of reminds me of a Western, but it's not really a Western because it's got swords, but it's not really historical because it's not about a real place, but it's not really fantasy because there's no magic. It, that to me is what defines interstitial is when you go, it's kind of this, but it's not this, but it's kind of that, but it, and you just start waving your hands about in the air, <laughs> which many uh, editors and publishers did until I finally found someone to take it. Um, so thank you for saying that, and it really is just the way my mind worked. I mean, I had, I was in publishing, I knew exactly what it wasn't and why no one would want it, and yet that was the book it wanted to be, that was the book I had to write. If you're lucky, you end up, as steampunk does, defining your own genre, and if you're not, it just sort of wanders about there looking for a friend. <laughs> because there's some things that will never, ever be be definable. Mm -hmm. Steampunk became a genre of its own. When I wrote Porcelain Dove, which was my second novel, it is a very accurate historical novel, and the level of its accuracy goes to the fact that many of the people in it believe in magic and practice because magic. Because it's set in the 18th century. Because it's set in the 18th century. And um, I found that that when it was reviewed, it was published by a mainstream publisher as a historical novel, but when it was reviewed, the, the genre publications reviewed it as basically a failed fantasy because it had too much real, re realism in it. And the, the mainstream reviewers view, reviewed it as a failed historical novel because it had too much of that magic stuff in it. And that, that was really the most interstitial work I have written. Almost everything else is pretty much, it's kind of on the edge of the of fantasy genre, but it definitely is working off of that genre more than anything else. Um, so I have sort of gone back to my roots. But um, and, and now there is a whole genre of historical fantasy, yeah. which is both extremely accurate and has this one thing different, not historically, but socially, usually, having to do with magic or the supernatural. Yeah, I just read uh, Madeline Robbins' um, 
serotolerance. Yes, mysteries. those are wonderful. Oh, they're wonderful. And um, but they're they're an alternate regency, but again, there's absolutely no magic in it, and and so it's it's very historically accurate up to a point and then everything changes. Children's books actually were more, um, had a lot more time for this kind of thing mm -hmm. because Joan Aiken, writing in the world of, of uh, Wolves of Willoughby Chase. The, the, the Wolves of Willoughby Chase and Black Hearts in Battersea, um, they are absolutely alternate history and they feel, they, they, they satisfy a lot of the desires that fantasy also satisfies, but there's no magic in them. So, so definitely the reason that we decided the world needed interstitial art was not just because of our own books, uh, but we saw in the science fiction and fantasy publishing world, and this is about 10 years ago now, tons and tons of people who would never, who basically were writing interstitial work, you're lucky to get published in science fiction and fantasy. But uh, Michael Swanwick and Alexander Yablokov, um, a lot of people, uh, by being in the protectorate of science fiction and fantasy would never be read by people who won't go to that corner of the bookstore because it has, you know, nerd cooties. <laughs> and uh, similarly, there are fantasies and science fiction novels being written and published as mainstream literature that, no, that I was astonished. I would go to science fiction conventions, talk about these books, and nobody in the SF community had read them because they weren't published in genre. So that was definitely a motivation for us. Mm -hmm. The world has changed in 10 years, and I think both sides are a lot more open. And I think also um, with the internet, because it becomes easy to tag a book with all yeah. of the different aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We need to pause one moment for our Book of the Week. Okay, our Book of the Week, Ellen is going to talk to us about her book. Tell us what it is. I'm so pleased to have my Book of the Week be my book that I wrote, <laughs> which I also read for Audible.com's wonderful new series, Neil Gaiman Presents. Neil has selected a ton of the books that he loves, which I happen to love too, including work by Jonathan Carroll, very interstitial, and some of the late greats that you may never even have read, like James Branch Cabell's The High Place. My novel, Swords Point, is set, it's basically, people have called it a historical novel about a place that doesn't really exist, and that is fairly accurate. It's also a queer novel, it's a novel about power, and it's, uh, so the Three Musketeers meets the New Yorker is the way I used to describe it. And it's such fun for me to get to read it and do all the voices with help from some, it's also a hybrid because it's full cast audio that's only partly cast. We took specific chapters and did them almost like radio drama with Ooh. actors 
in certain places. You'll just be listening to me along reading, and suddenly, blammo, there are actors becoming the characters and a very dense soundscape by my producer, Sue Zizzo. So, hope it works for you. Cool, that sounds cool. Now, uh, to get that, you go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You get a 14-day trial membership for free, and, of course, a free book, which could be Swords Point, if you so desire. Of so, course you desire. Of course, which desire. of course you do I, desire that. I do. I mean, I I've, imagine you would not. I've read the book and I'm like, I want that now. Because like, okay. don't you want to hear how the characters' voices really sound? Yeah. Sounds really neat, well, especially the, the full cast. Yeah, and the, the full cast well, full. well, and that it comes and goes, which is interstitial in in, a, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Who? Yeah, that sounds good. That, that uh, sounds great. Now I have another question for you, uh, for for both of you here. Um, speaking specifically towards aspiring writers, writers who may be writing this kind of fiction. What problems are they likely to face as they look towards publication and sales, and and what can they do to overcome them? Well, I think it begins a little even before publication and sales, which is that people who are reading your your beta readers, for the most part, unless you have very kind and open-minded beta readers, are going to push you towards the genre of their choice. Mm-hmm. And you have to resist that because that is not the book you are writing. And it's it's not easy to be an outlier. It is not easy to be somebody who is doing something that is a little bit out there and is inventing itself as it goes along, but it is very worth doing because this is how genre grows. This is how literature grows. This is how things develop and the future becomes a reality is for people to take chances and to write fiction that is not immediately recognizable as something. And I think that it is perhaps it's not a great way to do something that allows you to drop your day job, but it is extremely important to the history of fiction to write things that are very important to you, even if somebody looks at them and goes, well, what is this? And then you explain that you that you have, I don't know how to read this. Then you say, well, you really have to engage with the text. You really have to let me teach you how to read this text and, and to, to, to read maybe a little bit more carefully than you usually do because I'm, you, you, you can't take anything for granted. You're entering a new forest here. And the, 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 it's, it's, it's hard to do because you can't follow rules either. You can't follow genre rules. But it is so much fun. Hmm. You follow your gut, you follow your heart. You and do. I do have to say that Delia here speaks from experience because she has co-edited two anthologies of interstitial fiction called Interfictions and Interfictions 2. Yes. So, speaking of beta readers and, and um, you know, trying to look at the, the feedback that they give you, how do you balance the difference between um, I am confused by this because it does not meet my genre expectations and I am confused by this because it's confusing? It's, it, that is certainly a problem, but because because but what you do is is listen to the kinds of questions, not to have them say this is confusing, which is which is just fact. Yeah. That that is their experience of, of of what they're looking at. It is confusing. They need to find a way, and you need to find a way to ask questions, which will allow you to figure out 
where they're coming from, mm. whether they are, they're expecting a werewolf here and they're not getting one, or whether this entire part of the plot just is still in your head and not on the page yet. But the only way that that can be done is through a dialogue between you and your beta reader. Um, it's, it, this, this means that possibly you have to spend a lot of time on Skype, waving your hands around and asking each other questions. It is not the sort of thing that comes over very easily just if you do an email because mm. there's no give and take in an email. It's got to be much more of a, of a, of a dialogue. Um, when when you're doing that, but it's it it can sometimes, but it's it that that too can be a lot of fun because there's a real there's a real dialogue between you and your reader, which every text is anyway. Yeah, that's why I'm not the world's biggest fan of those keep your mouth shut and listen uh, writers groups because to me uh, uh, it, it's collaborative. The best uh, workshopping is collaborative rather than a sort of here take your take your medicine and like it. Well, excellent. Now, uh, one of the other questions I wanted to ask um, is, you know, for example, one of the problems I have with my book all the time is that people never know what genre it is, which means they never know where to find it in a bookstore. You walk into Barnes & Noble, is it going to be in the YA section or the thriller section or the horror section or the mystery section? Um, how can authors deal with that kind of problem, helping people the internet, find their interstitial? The internet, book? because, I mean, to be honest, bookstore, what's that? Do we even have bookstores anymore? Uh, you know, it's it's a big issue and it's a big concern. And I think Mary is absolutely right that the minute the internet came in, all the rules changed. Uh, sure. But you're right, it's a nightmare. And that's one of the problems. And I remember when we started uh, with the whole interstitial arts thing, people said, oh, so there's going to be an interstitial section of the bookstore? And you know what I think the answer to that is? It's often it's the staff picks. Oh, yeah. yeah that's actually true. Yeah. If you're lucky, your staff yeah. pick. But I mean, they people just love what they yeah. love. Exactly. But no, it's 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 tough. It's tough. And there is no answer to that can question. I, can I also say that it's not the author's job to put a label around their necks? It is absolutely, mm -hmm. it may be, it, it, it is because of financial reasons and whatever, it has become more and more an author's job to get their name out there and to talk about their books and to do publicity because publicity departments have gotten small and I can understand the economics. But it is not my job to put myself into a box. It is the job of the person who has bought my book and paid me money for it to figure out how they're going to market it to a certain extent. And you know, we and the fact that they do it badly is just a cry and shame. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they it's it it is a difficult situation, but I do not think that an I genuinely do not think that an author needs should self uh, um, censor. <laughs> I, I don't think that an author should self-censor and say this it, unless they really want to write an absolutely generic book, which is wonderful, and there are wonderful ones out there. But if that's not who they are and what they're doing, they should they should go ahead and write what they want. Well, at the same time, and I'm I'm going to just toss in a, a counter argument to that 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 if you are wanting to write a genre book and then knowing what your societal expectations are is important, uh, which doesn't mean that you have to follow them letter to 
you know, no. letter by letter, but that that there are two sides of this, and that, oh, yeah. that what we are. I just want to make sure that everyone is clear that we are talking about when you're writing outside of the box. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we're absolutely talking about writing outside of the box, but you don't. But but you don't make the box if right. that's not your box. Yes. Yes. If it's your box, fine. Right. <laughs> but if it's your box, then you don't have Dan's problem, which is, oh, where yeah. are people going to find it if it's all these different things at once? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, again, you know what? They're not. Uh, you just have to hope that the strongest, that it's strongest lead, you know, if it's uh, for adults or teens, but they put it under teens, that that gets enough people to read it that the word gets out. All right, we only have just like a minute left, but I wanted to ask very quickly, specifically the Interstitial Arts Foundation, what can that do for our listeners? And, and what, you know, should they look it up? What can they do? What, what is it for? We have a website that's interstitialarts.org. And we have a blog there. We are compiling lists of resources. We have published two anthologies and have uh, an annex of anthology stuff online. We also have, I, to me, a certain amount of the support that we all need is, is local. You need to hang out with other people who do what you do or do what you don't do uh, and encourage and support each other. So we find more and more that local salons, especially regular meetings of people, especially people, frankly, who do not live in really large artsy cities, can be fantastic. Um, Ellen Denham in Indianapolis hosts a monthly indie, uh, interstitial indie, uh, mm -hmm. and more and more people are coming to just hang out, share their stories, share their work. Um, I really encourage people in the arts who feel they don't quite fit in anywhere to start um, a, a regular public salon in a library, a coffee shop, whatever, and um, help each other out, be in touch with the foundation, and um, you know, keep in touch with the, with the blog and keep in touch with us. Let us know what you're doing, and you know, we'll do our best to support you as best we can. That's wonderful. All right, well, that is all the time we have, so we're going to throw this very quickly at Mary. Or a writing prompt. I thought you were going to do that. Oh. So for your writing prompt today, try to write something that doesn't fit neatly into the boxes. Maybe pick a genre and look at it and go, okay, well, these are the tropes, and defy them. All right. Well, excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.